So, welcome everybody to uh, one of the very first of the podcasts from the School of Pharmacy at Queen's University of Belfast. We're focusing on education in this particular series. Um, I'm delighted to be getting this series off to uh, a bang with Professor Paul White um, from Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Um, I'm also joined by uh, Dr. Morris Hall, our Director of Education for our BSc and uh, MSc programmes here at the School of Pharmacy at Queen's, and also Professor Leslie Ann Hanna, who is our Director of Education for our MPharm programmes here at the school also. So I guess just to get started, Paul, it'll be over to you. Um, so if I could ask you just to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your background in, in terms of education and research, um, and a little bit about how things are being done um, over in, in Monash at the moment. Thanks, Dan and, and Morris and Leslie-Ann. Uh, firstly, great pleasure to be here and uh, I've had an incredibly warm welcome to, to Belfast and to Queen's. Uh, so about me, uh, I uh, am a cardiovascular pharmacologist by, by trade. I'm now the Deputy Dean and Associate Dean Education at Monash's Faculty of Pharmacy and, and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Uh, you know, I won't tell you my life story, but uh, I did a fairly mediocre bachelor's degree, <laughs> have to say, and then in my final year fell in love with pharmacology and that led to a cardiovascular PhD uh, at, at Monash. I did a postdoc in a, in a pharmaceutical biotech company, uh, learned a lot there, and then came back to Monash for the past 24 years. Uh, so institutionalised Monash, but uh, it's a great place to work and I, I, I really love that. Excellent, great, thank you. So uh, what we're, we're um, very interested in, in what you're doing um, over in Monash at the minute and uh, a lot of the, the conversations you've been having at Queen's over the last few days that you've been with us have been around the, the educational approach that you've used within the Faculty of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences within your university. So would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that, how that's worked? Um, and maybe we could also have a bit of a chat around the, the challenges around making that work over the last few years. Yeah, well, I'll start with the good parts <laughs> <laughs> and then we can get into the, uh, the, the details of, you know, of the challenges. So uh, around 10 years ago, uh, there were a number of us in the Faculty of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences who were innovating uh, in education. We were teaching in a way that is reflective of how people learn and how people learn is not taking in 50 minutes worth of information uh, thrown at them from an expert. Uh, it, it, that doesn't really work. The, the content transfer method, you know, there's a lot of evidence that, that that's empirical evidence that that's not how people learn. So we were trying all these little pilots of active learning, of getting students to prepare for classes and then during classes tackling activities that uh, ask them to apply their conceptual knowledge and their skills, you know, talking to other humans. Uh, so, so we were trying this in pilot. And we got very frustrated because it was working so well, but we couldn't implement it across the faculty. Uh, I'm going to shout out to my dean at that time, Bill Charman. Uh, he didn't pay me for this, but um, <laughs> Bill was amazing. And, and our leadership group at the faculty said, yes, we want to go after excellence in education. And they really gave a mandate to a number of us, Ian Larson and a few other people at, at Monash, to implement a model of education at scale. And this was quite a big thing for us. We'd been a very traditional teaching uh, faculty, a lot of, a lot of lectures, 
and we, you know, we kind of hope the learning happened rather than really deliberately planned for it. So we spent some time developing an agreed approach that was really about good resources and content prior to class and getting students to engage with that. And then during class, really active participation in activities that were as close as possible to authentic things you might do once you're out in the workplace as a pharmacist or a pharmaceutical scientist. We work with the staff and the students and we can talk about some of their reservations and, uh, you know, quite understandable concerns about this in a moment. Uh, we did a lot of educational research. We looked at the evidence from outside, but we also spent a lot of time upskilling ourselves, you know, almost doing a sort of a second PhD in educational research. Not formally, but, you know, we, we did. And we worked with experts and yeah. we, we got some skills. Uh, and I last comment on this is really, you know, so pleasing to see that our graduates from our most recent pharmacy uh, completely transformed curriculum mm. are perceived by their, their bosses, their preceptors, uh, as having, you know, significantly improved communication skills, teamwork skills, applied knowledge, not just knowing the theory but applying it. So that's been great. So that's... Yeah, it's it's fantastic to hear about the, the benefits of that and and the you know a lot of the the advantages that it brings to you know the the, the finished graduate who who you know leaves the university and goes out into the, those professional situations and the, their their improved performance. I guess one thing that we would probably be remiss not to mention is, is the COVID pandemic, um, and you know you guys have been doing this for you know a lot longer than than COVID has been around. But I'm just wondering, you know, within that context. Were you able to deliver your teaching approach in that same way? Did you have to make adjustments over COVID? And were there any benefits that you've derived from that COVID pandemic over the course of the few years that have allowed you to, you know, to augment the teaching approach to, to the better? Yeah, look, <laughs> we, we had trouble at the start. Uh, I remember saying in a, one of the first meetings of our central teaching committee, there's just no way we can teach our whole program online. And it made it like a, you know, line in the sand kind of moment. And then about a month later, agreed that we would need to do our whole program online. We had a, a kind of head start because almost all of our content was already online. So that was great. But we had to figure out how to do classes that were active uh, on Zoom. You know, Zoom was our, our method. And it was really tough. You know, we, we had a lot of classes with the, you know, the, the black screen of death, you know, <laughs> the many, many boxes of students with their cameras off and uh, had to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get engagement in, in those classes. Uh, we did learn some things, to your point about, you know, what, what have we taken away? And I think what it reinforced is that there are some things that are really, that lend themselves to self-paced student learning. So they can, they can take the time to look up the words that they don't understand to, to pause and, you know, pause our, our great presentations and, and look at um, something in more detail or, or to, you know, speed it up two times or three times for perhaps people like me who, you know, talk too, <laughs> too much and too long. Um, but it also reinforced the fact that if we're going to get students to campus, there needs to be a value add. It needs to be more useful to their learning to turn up than it would be sitting at home comfortably with a coffee, uh, watching watching our work. 
Absolutely. Um, and this might be a great time to bring in Morrison Leslie on as well, just with your experience of the COVID pandemic here at the School of Pharmacy at Queen's. Yeah. So, Paul, what would a typical week look like for a student at Monash? You know, you've mentioned about the active learning approach, about, you know, the time they, they spend doing work um, that you put online. So what does that look like for me as a student going through um, you know, a pharmacy course or a pharmaceutical sciences course? Yeah, so we have a weekly, a weekly schedule. So they have a, a day off, and it, but it's not a day off, it's a day of discovery. Uh, so our, our acronym, you know, we've got acronyms for everything. I, I'm ambivalent about acronyms, but we, we have, a, it's called a DEAR model. And sorry about the accent, but that's D-E-A-R. <laughs> dear, dear to us, yes. Uh, so the D is discovery. So they have a, a day where there's no classes and they do all the preparation for the four modules for that week. And then they have the E is explore. And these are kind of our large class active learning sessions. So they might be in a group of 200 or even 300, but we break them up into small groups of three and they tackle problems that really try to cement their understanding of the, the core concepts we try to identify those core concepts and really get them to cement them. And they do a lot of talking. You know, we really want our students to talk in English about technical things all, all the time. Yeah. The A is apply, and that's our workshops, flat floor spaces, working in teams, very student-led work, solving complex problems about a patient or a medicine uh, or discovery of a new medicine. And then the R is reflect, and so we have a skills coaching program where every student has a skills coach and they help them, you know, with the journey for the week or even in previous weeks, what communication skills feedback did they get and how can the coach help them develop a plan to improve their, their skills, communication, or um, oral or written, problem solving, critical thinking, that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that sounds great. I mean, you mentioned about the spaces that you have. Um, how important do you think the built environment is for the application of the model? Um, you know, we've talked before about lecture theatres and them not really being conducive to the type of conversations, group work that you want to have with students. What do you have in that space that allows the model to work? Yeah, we, we know that our workshops empirically are the most uh, associated with improved student learning. So we've done some um, regression analysis and published that to show that attendance at our workshops um, is, is positively associated with learning gains in an OSCE and an exam, uh, more so than attendance at our active lectures, for example. And I think the magic of those, Morris, I think you, you, you're right on, it's the flat floor space. It's amazing the difference in the atmosphere, you, you get this buzz in the room that is incredible when groups of five students are just completely engrossed in this authentic problem that a practitioner has has posed to them or a, someone who's, you know, publishing in nature has, has given them as a, as a task to do. And we have five rooms that are, you can't see on a podcast what I'm indicating, <laughs> but they're, they're, in, they're in parallel, right? Sure. So there's five rooms all connected and the instructor, there's one academic and, and four or five tutors in that room and the, the one academic can talk to everybody. So it's kind of, it's very student-led, but it, it's we're in there for the journey with them and that's where I think a lot of the magic happens with our learning. Yeah, that sounds great. 
Um, yeah, I mean, student engagement, I suppose, is one of those things that, um, you know, people have been talking about due to the pandemic um, and getting that engagement with students. And I think you mentioned there about, you know, it being important that they come onto campus for some value-added material. Um, what other things have you been doing to try and improve student engagement? Has that been an issue for you at Monash? I think since, since the resumption of on-campus learning for us, which was really at the start of this year so our academic calendar is starts with semester one in in february and in february we really brought people back on mass to to uh to campus the engagement in the workshops has been yeah not a problem we get 90 something percent really the people who are away often have COVID at the moment yeah. uh and i'm sure we all you know experience that in the lectures it, it's a mixed bag i think and, and I think students are making the calculation because lectures are not active lectures. They're, you know, they're not stand and deliver, but uh, they are not compulsory. And so we have, I think, st we're still on a journey of figuring out the best way to do that value add and figuring out with, with the students and with our student liaison group who tell us, you know, how things are going, which kind of things they, f they really value and, and find engaging. And I think it's a, it's a combination of, you know, the human element, like passionate educators and fun activities and, you know, that side of engagement's critical. And then people with the craft of, of constructing teaching activities that get at those critical knowledge and skills in a way that students at the end can say, oh, wow, I learned something today. And it wasn't, you know, I learned to remember some facts, but I actually tried to solve a problem and, and made mistakes but got there in the end. Um, thanks very much, Paul. Um, I suppose this question is maybe a bit more controversial in that you've delivered talks um, on educational transformation and the evidence base behind blended approaches um, that incorporate active learning strategies. So I suppose, do you think these approaches can really work across higher education sector? And if so, then why do you think they're not actually adopted more widely? Yeah, thanks, Leslie Ann. That's an easy one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, it's a great question. Look, it can work. I, I think we have shown, uh, with of course flaws. You know, not many things we, we've, you know, made mistakes and, and we've learned. But we have shown that it can work. You can implement it in a way that students do engage on mass. You can bring your your academic staff along with you for the journey. But we are one small faculty within Monash, and, and I, I think across Monash, there's you know there's a whole variety of approaches. So I think, and, and I think that's reflected everywhere. I mean, sometimes people say to me, "Oh, everyone does active learning now," but I think you, you, I think it varies. It varies in nature and extent and quality. So how you know how can we how can we improve that? How how can we not make everybody teach the same way? I really want to em emphasise that it's not about that, but how can we get everybody to teach in a way that is reflective of our understanding of how students learn? Yeah. And to me, the answer is models, models at scale. So the models need to be con con uh, contextualised. So you can't just sort of plug in a model that someone else has done, I don't think. You need to build consensus with your students. You need to build consensus with your with your staff on a model that, that fits in that context, but is active, but you know, is focused on the knowledge and the skills and the attitudes and, and what will make a difference to graduates 
and the communities that they serve. Um, and that all sounds a bit waffly, but the models, I think, are the key. So like our deer model is an example of something that people could get their heads around and they could say, yes, I can be creative within that framework. Um, of course, I'm going to suggest that our model is a good one, but I really do. I know that you've got to build consensus yourself and you've got to have support from the top. I was going to say, could you say a little bit more about consensus and how you built that with staff and students and yeah, about this support that we need? Yeah, so I'm smiling because we have, <laughs> we, we had a lot of quite robust discussion, can I say. You know, we had people standing up to say, this is not how I was taught and I've done pretty well. And this is an experiment that you're doing on our students and our students shouldn't be guinea pigs. You know, so we had a lot of concerns early on. And we had students saying, look, my expectation is that you'll teach me, you know? Yeah. And, and that's understandable. All of those are understandable. So we, need to, we needed to develop a, a, and pilot test in our context to say, this can work. And actually, our educators just came out of classes, you know, it sounds like I'm trying to sell something here, but I'm really not. They came out of classes just beaming with the enjoyment of hearing students talk about these activities and these concepts. You know, you're hearing students thinking in real time and it's both horrifying and wonderful because it's horrifying because you hear the misconceptions, but you can correct them. You know, you can help them get to a place of really deep understanding. And, you know, I think that, that part of it, that enjoyment was a big part of getting the consensus. We had to show that it worked. We had to show the evidence that they learnt better, that we had to show that student survey scores didn't dive through the floor. I mean, some people did take a hit. Other people went up. Like our net student survey scores were, were about the same and, and now they're higher. They are definitely higher than they were. So showing that it works in a, in a smaller scale and, and putting, you know, shining a spotlight on those champions that, that, that had a go in the first instance was, was critical. Great. Just on that note, and with the students obviously are the, the key part of everything that we're doing. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, kind of they're the important. Whole, the whole point, right? <laughs> um, I guess, you know, the, and that student satisfaction is obviously very important because you want students to be having a, a good time, whether they're studying and learning what, what they're doing. But it's also that students won't always have a fantastic time when they're doing these things, particularly given, you know, the complexity and the difficulty of some of the content. It'd be great to know a little bit more, you know, about how you maybe had worked with the students to at least let them know, well, hey, look, if things are going to get a little bit more difficult here because we're expecting you to do that sort of that prep work before you come to those active sessions, were students receptive to the, the point that there was the benefit in the learning outcome and their ability? And did that feed into their satisfaction, do you think? And has that taken some time to, to kind of bed in? Yeah, absolutely. It took some time. So we had, similarly to the, the staff town, town hall discussions, we had student town halls and we, you know, we butted them up with, is that the right expression, with, with hot dogs and, you know, food and drink, um, not alcohol. <laughs> and, and then we talked a lot about why we were trying to do what we were doing sure. and we talked about process and we talked about the safeguards for their learning and we talked about the evidence yeah. We used different language for the students to, to the staff, but you know it's the, it was the same evidence that we were presenting. Uh, and we, you know, it, it was something that took time. So at the end of our first year, we did a survey. And we asked all these questions about, you know, 
was it more engaging to do active learning? Uh, how did you know? Did you enjoy the you know the peer conversations that are an absolutely critical element? All of these things, the students said yes. You, you know, and and they they were pretty rigorously done. Like the students were, I don't think, saying things that you know they thought we wanted to hear. And we probably know that because the last question we asked was, do you learn better with traditional learning than active learning? And the first year they said yes to all these, you know, great things, but we learn better in traditional learning. And we went away and, you know, kind of shook our heads and tried to figure out what was going on. But when we did some focus groups, we found that they they were um, mistrustful of the link between the teaching approach and the, the assessment and they thought, well, if the assessment's going to be the typical, you know, we'll tell you back what you told us, yeah. then they think, well, someone just telling us the information, that's the most efficient transfer of information process. What we had to, to talk to them about was our transition of assessment, which is really important. So with constructive alignment, if you change your learning outcomes and your teaching methods, you have to change your assessments. And we did. And students saw in their second year that, the assessments were actually application questions. You know, a patient comes in with this problem, can you understand what's going on and can you develop a, a, you know, a treatment approach or, or something about you know, developing a new drug? And when we asked the same question about do you prefer or do you, do you believe you learn better in traditional teaching than, than active, it flipped completely okay. in, in the second year. Yeah, that makes sense because, yeah, there is that application and that sort of the, the awareness of the end goal and the reflection of what these guys actually are going to go out and do in the professional workplace, which I'm sure is very, very important. Isn't it? Um, you've been doing a number of, of, um, of talks and, and working with a number of staff at, at Queen's um, during your, your visit here, which has been great. And I've been in a number of those and they've been very, very enlightening. One thing that... Um, I have always had a bit of a concern around but when it, it comes to doing active learning and when I have done that has been student engagement with, with those processes in, in the classroom. Um, and you spoke a little bit yesterday about, um, you know, following on from a question about, there, you know, there's always a number of students who will regularly answer questions in a sort of larger group and that maybe whilst it seems active on the face of it means that most of the students are still passively engaging in the class when they're there and um, could you tell us a little bit about the the, the dear model and, and more specifically how within those live teaching sessions you can kind of get as many of the students as possible engaging in those sessions as you can yeah yeah it's a bit of a, a dark art <laughs> uh and and it takes a lot of time to to develop comfort i think for the for the educator in this different model where suddenly they've stopped talking and that's you know that's quite confronting in the first instance so i've stopped talking are they going to do anything is is, is often a thought that people have so we developed some ideas about that and one of them is you have to stop the class and it, what i mean by that is you can do socratic teaching which is really good you know the, the idea that you're there's a dialogue and you are taking students through the journey you're asking them questions and then you follow up with more ideas and then you ask them another question so socratic learning is great but that's not active learning as we define it yeah. active learning we say there's a task on the screen okay we stop the class we give them a time we say and it, the time part is very interesting you know sometimes you think this will take three minutes and it takes ten yeah. and sometimes vice versa so you give them a time allocation you say work in work by yourself sometimes 
and then you know the think pair share kind of idea that they think individually and then they get together and argue the toss um, other times it's work with you know some people are very prescriptive and others are more just with the people around you but i think the critical thing for me is that you embed yourself in the lecture theater you know, you, you go and walk up halfway and you sit down with a group of students and that allows you to hear what the students are making of this task and sometimes you, you quickly jump up and say, right, this wasn't clear at all, just to clarify, this is actually what I'm telling you to do. But also it, it shows them that, yes, this is their time to work. There are people who are terrified that some students are talking about, you know, the beach and, and, and nothing to do with the task and I can tell you for sure some will be and that's okay. Like if you think of a lecture, what proportion of the students are thinking about the beach while you're talking that you don't know about? So I'm comfortable so long as most of them are, are doing that. And you know that because you can walk around afterwards and say, you know, what did, what did you guys think of this task? Uh, and w you do that in a very warm way, you know, so it's dependent on your ability to generate warmth in the classroom. But, but if students know that after, you know, five minutes, they're going to be accountable for not getting the right answer. And we, it's really important that they can make mistakes and feel comfortable yeah. doing that. But we want them to have had a go. I think you mentioned earlier then that it wasn't really just the academic on their own, maybe with a large group of people, that there were other people to support the academic. Can you tell us a bit more about their role? Yeah, so in workshops we have, yeah, as, as I say, one lead and then four assistants and their role is very much to get to every individual team of students and help them not by telling the answer and we have to train our TAs you know not to just shortcut straight to the answer which is what the students sometimes want but you know if they can't figure it figure it out themselves then they haven't learned anything um, but they're, they're very much the on the ground support the um, providing that you know um, facilitation to get the group to a good place at the end. There's nothing more frustrating for students than to get to the end of a class, not know if what, what they did was any good and not finish or, you know, not have closure on that session, if you like. So that's, that's their kind of role. So I, I guess a question that kind of always makes me think a little bit about, you know, when it comes to the approaches that you're using and, and how we're moving forward here at the School of Pharmacy is you know you've been running your approach for 10 years now or so um where do you see what what you're doing in Manash in 10 years time where do you see that model moving do you see you know anything maybe being drastically changed do you see how students engage with that changing or do you see things remaining the same because there's a model there that's a great foundation to how you guys do education yeah it's it's a it's a good question and i'm not sure at the moment with the disruption from the pandemic that I can see very clearly about, you know, 10 years time where, where we might be. Uh, I think that we, you know, we're going to have continued pressure from students to be more flexible about their, their week and their learning approach. And I, I, we need to think our way through that because I think we do want flexibility where we can, but we also want them to be, you know, I want my students to be, have their, their learning as their first priority. And for some students now, I think it's sort of maybe second or third, you know, yeah. um, not most, but, but some. Uh, I think that, you know, the technology is only going to be 
increasingly a part of what we do and I, being deliberate about the technology not driving you know the the innovation but but the reverse uh, I think is is critical so I, I really like some of the automated feedback that's that's taking the legwork out of providing actionable feedback to students and for example you know we're working on core concepts for pharmacology and and for pharmacy more broadly you know those big ideas that students just have to know and that's something we can automate that they tackle some you know they, they learn some content we're with them to help them but then they tackle some assessments that tell them not did you get the right answer for this mcq but can you demonstrate that you actually um, can apply this concept yeah. in in you know real life so i think the tech will, will be part of it uh, the human element is always going to be critical like i don't i don't see getting rid of us all and having robots <laughs> in the room and i just don't see that because i think human the, the um, human relationships We've seen in the pandemic how important they are and the, and the disengagement that can happen when you don't feel that connection yeah. is critical. Uh, maybe the last thing, so there's quite a push in, in health sciences education, health professions education as well for competency-based education. Sure. I'm not sure if that's been a big thing here, but there's a lot of discussion about having students uh, assessed in terms of their competency to perform a task that would be something they would do in practice. Mm -hmm. And going along with that is, you know, you can even have this it's a bit utopian but self-paced degree yeah. where, you know, whenever you're ready to, to do this OSCE or whatever, you do it. Uh, I think there's something in that, but the, the you know, administ administrative part of me says, how are we going to make that happen and not, uh, you know, academics are so short a time. I, I want to... I want something that works for students, absolutely, but I also want something that that um, won't, uh, you know, drive us mad trying to trying to achieve. Morris, I know you're certainly a person with a, a big interest in, in digital and online education. Are there any of those trends that you see emerging here within the school or in, in Queens more generally um, that we think would probably start to move on and develop over over the next few years here? Um. I suppose uh, this university, I suppose, after the pandemic is, is looking very much at the way things are done. We all sort of were maybe in a sort of comfortable space doing things each year as the way that we did them before. The pandemic has shown how we can do things. There was a massive move very quickly um, to delivering things in a way we never thought possible. I think one of the benefits of the pandemic has certainly been looking at the fundamentals of teaching and what are the core concepts, what are the key things that we need to get across. It made people think fundamentally about education, I think, again. Um, and I think that has generated a lot of interest in the university around active learning approaches. Um, there's a lot of discussion around this now, and I think that in the future, um, certainly the use of Canvas the use of all the digital technologies which you know only increase each time um that you go looking for them and, and that's why you're here dan um and you know it's 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 getting it's getting i suppose the the correct mix of using technology appropriately and the pedagogy you know driving the use of technology and not the reverse as paul said um and i think you know it's an exciting time but it's also a lot of challenge you know for for staff who are are busy um, and trying to get them up to a certain level of skill in the use of these and feeling comfortable in their use so that you get maximum benefit from them in the classroom. Um, because if, if people don't feel comfortable using it, then 
you know, it's, it's not going to happen. So I think we have a piece of work to do to sort of upskill um, staff and get people comfortable with use of technology, using it appropriately, um, and then really deciding which bits offer the, the most benefit to the students and their experience. Great stuff. Like it, it's been a, a, a fantastic conversation. It's it's um, been great to have you here for the last few days, Paul, and the, to kind of to hear the various things you've been saying about the experience of, of what you've been doing in Monash. I guess to, to finish things off, one thing I've been intending to ask you so far has been if you had one piece of advice to give to somebody who was thinking of going your way, rolling out some active learning, and boil it down to one, which I'm sure will be nice and easy for you. Um, what what would you say to that person who was trying to at least move in that direction? Yeah, so I'll give you the seven, the top seven. <laughs> no, kidding, kidding. Oh, look, one's really hard. I would say uh, my piece of advice is kind of philosophical, so it's not that practical, but, but to think about how your students learn when you're, when you're teaching. And, and if, if you're not sure, talk to them. That it's amazing to me the the transformation in my understanding of how my students learn that I got when I sat down and listened listened really listened to students talking about content. So that would be yeah, find out how your students are learning your stuff, and and then then think about what to do. So all that really leaves for me to do is to to thank uh, Morris Hall. Uh, Leslie and Hannah and of course to Professor Paul White for taking a lot of time um, working with over the course of the last few days and for speaking to us on the podcast today so thanks very much everybody and we'll hopefully speak to everybody again very soon thanks for now